Well, welcome, Nikki Lynette. Thank you so much. Are you coming all the way from Chicago? I am, though I do love LA. It's the only place that I have visited in the pandemic and I had to go for business or else I totally would not have flown. <laughs> well, I wish I was in Chicago. My mom is from Evanston. And so I spent a lot of time in Chicago and sometimes I'll just like throw out a Chicago accent just because I hear it and I love it. It's one of the best cities in the world and just like, Oh my gosh, I just, I can't say enough about it. And during Christmas time, I think it's the most magical. Um, so there you go. I'm very excited that I'm talking to someone from Chicago. I spend a lot of time in Evanston because Northwestern supports a lot of my work. American Music Theater Project produced my play. Oh my gosh. Oh, I can't wait to talk about all of this right now. So you have... Well, you are a lady of many talents, so that's first and foremost. And I just totally like was stalking everything about you. And I just, I was freaking out because Steppenwolf Theater, which we'll get into is just like epic and just on another level. But how did you get into this whole mental health space? Um, having a mental break, basically. Yeah. I had a mental break and um, it, I couldn't really proceed with my life without talking about it, like without making it a part of what I was doing because it's such a big part of my life and uh, managing it healthily means I have to think about it every day. I have PTSD. So, you know, it's a trauma disorder. It's something I have to manage all the time. Yep. So uh, talking about it helps me be, hold myself accountable and it helps me show up for other people who have the same issue. I think w why that you just right now saying that is resonating with me in a certain level, but also why I have even an immense amount of respect for you is that is so brave to talk about your own traumas and your own issues that you've gone through. And yes, I truly believe the same way that you do is speaking about it is normalizing it, right? It's, it's just part of a conversation. It's like, oh yeah, like I got this going on. Like it's not a big deal because the more you talk about it, the more it becomes part of your regular conversation and it doesn't feel like this heavy weight on your shoulder. But I think a lot of people, and in fact, I know a lot of people have that fear of talking about it. So it is very brave and, and you just creating it normal is just so awesome. So thank you for that. But you know, it is that having a mental breakdown, people don't understand that it's not just in that moment, then you live with that for the rest of your life. Yeah, and a lot of people don't think about the fact that when it comes to mental health, so much of what we're going through is chemical. It's based upon like how the, the balance of chemicals in your body at any given time. Mm -hmm. And we sit up and we shame ourselves. We internalize stigma. We feel bad about ourselves based on the balance of chemicals in your body. It don't make no sense. It just don't. Mm -hmm. Like to, to look down on yourself or to beat yourself up because the chemicals in your body are balanced in a way that makes it real easy for you to be depressed or makes it real easy for you to be anxious or makes it real easy for you to, you know, um, have that panic response. You can't do that to yourself. It don't make no sense to 
It's not logical. It is so wild to me because I always use the example of someone's not mad at you if you have, or like gonna be upset with you if you have diabetes. They're not gonna be like, oh, this is a problem. Like you have cancer. It's like, so why is it any different? Because it is a chemical imbalance. It's something that I, I feel a lot of people are born with on top of it. You know, it's it, there is trauma. There's so many other, there's so much shit that goes into mental health. And you took- you, what you went through and the struggle that you went through and having this PTSD and were you always, I assume you were always an artist of sorts. Yeah, before my mental break, like I was a pretty, I had my successes as an indie artist. I was speaking at South by Southwest. I was performing across the country. Like I was doing my thing even before I had a mental break. It was, uh, and then the mental break took me from my art. So like that was hard. And so when I decided I wanted to come get back to it, I knew I couldn't really do that without being honest about what I had went through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then how long ago did this mental break happen for you? Not long ago. I would Not say been, like, yeah, like I would say it started in 2015 and then it got really, it was really not, it was really bad for like two years, maybe the end of 2014 until, uh, I mean, I had my last big depressive episode in March, but it's been like incrementally getting better. Like, that's the thing. I wish I could tell people like, hey, if you decide today that you want to work on your mental wellness, because I was suicidal. Like I, w I actually attempted suicide and was found unconscious. So when I tell people like to get from there to where I am now, like it ain't overnight. It took... I want to say since 2017 has been when I when I've been like consistently consistently working on my mental wellness mm -hmm. and it took from 2017 until now for me to get to this place and I still have like you know I have PTSD so I still have sleep disturbances I still navigate anxiety I still on occasion get depressive episodes but it's not even like it was you know what I'm saying and my last right. one was in March like I don't even have them regularly anymore but i still have triggers um i still have a twitch that is notable noticeable sometimes which makes me a slightly insecure because i'm on camera for right. you know like a lot of my life right but right. um but hell like if, if if the difference between you feeling okay and where you are now is two years then so so, because right. it's been two years, not only did I rebuild my mental wellness, but I rebuilt my self-esteem and I rebuilt my career. Right. So it's worth it to do the work. Like, yeah, it's not overnight, but you're worth it. How are you not? What? You're your greatest investment. I love that. You are your greatest investment. That is amazing. No, it's so true. What was the 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 thing that pulled you out from that last depressive state? Not not in March, I, from the when you started, you were saying in, in 2017, 2018. What was the first step of um not the aha moment, but what was the first thing that you did? Was it getting into your art again? Was it speaking to someone? Was it going to therapy? What was the, that first giant hurdle that helped you out? I went for a walk. Simple. It was like, I was having a lot of trouble getting out of the bed. I had been hospitalized. I had been on meds. I had been to therapy and I was still suicidal. 
And I just had to just deal with that. Like that nothing was really going to cure that until I figured out the role I was going to play mm-hmm. in my recovery, the role that I was supposed to play because therapy at that time is out doing outpatient four days a week. And then it whittles down and then one day a week. And and then once every two weeks, if you know, once you get to a certain point, I had to decide, okay, like I'm suicidal. This is a fact. It, it has, to, it's true. There's nothing I can do about it. It can't mean that I'm a bad person. It can't mean that I'm weak because here I am wishing that this wasn't happening. So I'm like, okay, you got the suicide card. This is your card. You have it. it oh, you own it. You can put that in your back pocket. You can do that anytime. There is no expiration date on suicide. You know what I'm saying? But as long as you have that, if you're willing to be, if you're willing to take that such a drastic step to feel better, how about breaking the drastic steps down into baby steps and, and just trying that? Because I think that actually being suicidal is a very powerful place because you are in a position where you no longer want to take it. You no longer want to be unhappy. But the only problem is suicidal people think that killing themselves is the only way to get to the other side. No. You can, that's just, you can activate in the other direction. And so the problem was when you depressed, you don't even have the energy to do nothing. You don't want to do nothing. So I just said, if you just get out of the bed and go for a walk, you have achieved something today. And then that day I went for a long ass walk. The next day I went for a long walk and I cooked a little something. The next day I went for a walk, I cooked a little something and I cleaned up my place a little bit. The next day cooked, cleaned, uh, uh, went for a walk and like did self care, like actually like took a shower and right. you know felt a little bit cuter. And through a series, you know, then suddenly going back to therapy and having a conversation felt like less effort. Mm-hmm. Um, doing self care regularly felt like less effort. Having conversations with friends about how I was really feeling instead of just saying I'm fine, so they leave me alone felt like less effort. And those baby steps added up. And now here I am. And within the time that I've been in my recovery, not only have I like gotten better at how I feel about each other, I have made history a few times. Like I became the first black woman to have my play funded by American Music Theater Project. I became the first American Music Theater Project play to debut a Steppenwolf Theater. I became in the Lookout series. I became the first Lookout series work to sell out all four uh, of my debut run, all four runs of my show, and then having to add a fifth one that sold out too. Like, I did things I never, th- and now I'm I'm turning that play into a film in a pandemic, and independent artists in my city ain't doing nothing like that right now. Mm-hmm. And this is all stuff that I've done since I recovered. So if it's two years for you, between you and you being able to be a story like what I'm telling you right now, that's nothing. You got that. That's nothing. You can eat that. I mean, that's nothing like even put aside the mental health aspect of it all. You have committed yourself to taking care of yourself, whether you had a breakdown or not. It just shows you don't have to have a specific mental health problem. We all struggle with mental health, but it's all about creating that pattern. It's all about putting one step, you know, in front of the next. And it's all about the baby steps. And I think that that is one of the biggest issues that people will sit, especially in a depressive state. And I've been here where it's like, shit's never going to happen. 
Like, you know, I, why would I even bother? Because it's just not going to happen. I'm never going to have that success. I'm never going to have that way to connect to somebody, to have that conversation. So what's the fucking point, you know? And you want to just like step back, but it is, it's that baby set, step, excuse me, baby steps. And people need to know just getting up in the day and waking up and maybe even taking a shower. Sometimes that's a huge fucking accomplishment. You know, it's nothing to be ashamed of that sometimes you just need to take that one step and that's all right. And going on a walk and getting that fresh air and feeling that inspiration. A question that I, that I get a lot um, and you touched on it was I'm too fearful to speak to my friends and family about my mental health issues. And I'm afraid that they're going to judge or they're going to think differently and I'm going to lose my friends and family. And that's why they always say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. These must be people that you trust, you know, with your heart and soul that you opened up. But did you ever have that fear of, of judgment or maybe losing people? I did lose people. You did? I lost family. I lost friends. Like, it's a reality when you open up. It's likely that you people, maybe your support system and your family is so dope and you are so blessed and gifted and lucky that they all just, like, be sensitive and show up for you in the way that you need. And they help you and hold your hand while you work through what you're going through. If that happens, you will get through your stuff so much quicker. But if they don't do that because they lack the knowledge, because they might have their own mental health stigma because they might just be afraid. If they don't do that, the responsibility falls on you to advocate for and care for yourself. Mm-hmm. I got lucky because like, even though my family, the side of my family that knew about it, they weren't great. My, my friends, my closest friends, the ones that stayed are like family to me now. Because especially my best friend, Keisha, because it's very rare that people will climb into the mud with you just to pull you out. They will get dirty with you just to pull you out. And I'm not saying that everybody should do that because some people don't have the mental fortitude to do that. But my best friend did it and it saved my life. I'm here because she did that. And now we both doing baller ass shit as black girls like killing it in 2020 right now during the fucking pandemic. So, you know, I got real lucky. I would say like, even if your family don't got your back, even if the person who you love, who in your relationship with you, who's supposed to be there for you, turns toxic and and, and leaves you and, and, and harms you while you don't, all you really need is one very true and dedicated friend. You only need one, because I did it with one. I was only open to one. And then when I, when I realized that I, I could open up my world a little bit more, I realized my brother, my brother Matt, my boy Matt that I had been working with, that I was so embarrassed to talk to, he had never left. And my mentor, who, you know, I was so embarrassed to tell things to, he had never left. So, like depression, anxiety, it just closes up your world. It has you thinking. If you, it changes, alters your ability to see reality for what it is. Mm-hmm. And when you're depressed, you are often in a very selfish position because you are concerned about your survival. You mm-hmm. are selfish because you're trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't even have like the range to look around and see that there are people around you that love you and care. Even because, and if it's people that are like negative, you really, really see that. It becomes really, really obvious. I would invite you and encourage you, if possible, to take a step back, 
and really observe where love is coming from and who mm -hmm. feels safe and lean in. Mm -hmm. It helps. I love that advice. No, I love that advice because look, we can't, we can't choose who our, who our family is, right? We can't choose who we were born into. We can't choose our, our mother. We can't choose our father. You know, I don't have a relationship with my father and it, all basically stems down to the mental health issue because both of us have the same problem and one wanted to admit it and the other didn't, you know, yeah. and, and that's okay. Right. That's okay. Because I was very blessed to have a mother that did all that she could to figure out, to find the resources, whether it be hypnotherapy, whether it be, I don't know, yoga, juju shit, whatever it was to try to fix my problem. Um, even though she didn't, have any idea what the problem was. Um, but I did lose a lot of friends as well. And I think that it's so important to take that step away, really evaluate. And if people can't be on the same page as you, you just right. have to be like, you know what? I, I wish the best for you. There's no ill will. There's no negativity towards you. We just aren't going to vibe on the way that it's supposed to be. And you're right. You have to lean into that. And even if you, if, let's say in a world that you lose every single person in your life, right? And you don't even have one person. The thing that I always recommend is, find those outlets, especially now everyone's at home. So people, you know, have really created all of their support systems online, right? Find a group, find, you know, and try to connect with people who are like-minded because there is nothing in the world like finding someone that understands what you're going through and that connection and that bond happens so quickly and that friendship is created so quickly because you realize, wow, I'm not alone. Someone else has been in this, this moment where they have wanted to stop their life. I, I'm not the only person that thinks this way because you're right. When you are depressed, you you feel self, you you have a selfish aspect. You have a lonely aspect. You think you're the only thing in the world that this is happening to, and you can't wrap your mind around it happening to anyone else. So I, I think that that it's so key your advice of leaning in, leaning into that. When you started writing and started writing this play, where, were you doing it almost like? therapeutic where you were like, I'm just going to write out my feelings and I'm going to do it and put my, my sadness into my art. Or were you happy and wanting to share it? What was the emotion that you were going through? Oh, it's not. <laughs> not. <laughs> You're at joking. Come on. You weren't happy. <laughs> um, at the beginning of writing it, I was still very much navigating my mental health issues. Like very much. There was really no way of fighting that and no way of hiding that. It was hard. And I was I was being told to write it by my mentor, Iran Tellis. He's like this composer, like famous, done all this big shit. And um he was just happy that I was like this was like I had started doing like these mental health videos for Afropunk and started like writing blog articles and stuff like that about mental health because like, you know, I'm on the fringe of alternative culture and hip hop culture. And in hip hop, like people don't, wasn't really talking about mental health a couple of years ago. I'm one of the people that normalized it and made it so that we could. And so I think Ira just told me to write the play because he wanted to get me creating. Like he wanted to get me back in my creative space because I had not been creating. So he told me if I just write a little bit every day, then 
by the end of the month, I should have a whole play written and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, if it's good, you know, maybe I can help you do something with it. And I was like, fine. But when I went to try to write a play and I would like look at examples of other people's plays, I didn't necessarily see the thing that I wanted to do. And I didn't have no money. So it's not like I could go see Hamilton so I could understand what the hype was about. But I just knew that Hamilton was hip hop and music oriented and it broke away from the traditional theater uh, way things are done. Mm -hmm. And I could only glean what was happening in Hamilton from looking at clips. Mm So, um, but I was inspired by that. And I was inspired by, I saw the vagina monologues and baby. Oh Oh my God, I did too. I love it. (laughs) I love it. I had no idea. Okay. So um, I watched that. I watched Whoopi Goldberg's stand up when she would play this character named Fontaine. Um, I watched a John Leguizamo one man show. How brilliant is that one man show? Yeah, John Leguizamo, the range, the range. The range, the range. So all of that, like, it was like, I wanted to, like those ideas were floating in my brain, but I wanted to do something ignorant like Uh something like lit something that bangs something hard edgy like not pretty but fucking dope and so and so i um you heard of pussy riot the band pussy riot no i don't know they are a russian activist group and um they had got like a lot of press because they got arrested just for protesting and um, it was real messed up. And like the whole world was like, sleep pussy right. So they did their first American tour here. And when I, I opened for their first three dates and I workshopped my idea for my play on their stage. So and when you, when you, perf- when you opened for them, were you doing like, how, what were you performing in the opening? Were you doing the music the- that ended up being in my play? Cause they oh. were like songs that I was recording while I was going through my mental breakdown. And like songs that I wrote while I was not okay. Some that sent me to the hospital. And uh, I performed them when I opened for Pussy Riot. And people liked the way that I, that I presented it. Like people really responded to it. And I'm like, bitch, this a play. And I wrote it like that. I demoed it for American Music Theater Project. They instantly got it. Um, I told them that I wanted a director was who was either a black woman or a black gay man. And they got me my director I have now who is um, this amazing genderqueer, black choreographer, director, badass motherfucker, Roger Ellis. And it's just been history from there. Oh my gosh. And how fantastic that it all started just with the music and then it created this, this whole empire of all of it. And how incredible in this day and just discussing everything that we're going through in 2020, what you have accomplished in a pandemic. I mean, that is just out of control. Like that, like who, did you ever think that you would be like, okay, this is my moment to shine when we literally can't fucking leave the house. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think the moment it started hitting me was when I did my TED talk a couple of weeks ago. I know, I wanna hear all, and you did a TED talk, like, holy shit, what was that TED talk? How did that happen? That is so cool. Uh, they reached out to me about it via social media. At first, like I was sad because I wanted it's 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 with Princeton. It's with Princeton. I am a college dropout. At first, like I was like trying to go to the campus to be part of like the bigger 
thing that they did because they had like on campus, but then they had a remote thing for people who couldn't come. Mm-hmm. But like they couldn't have people on campus who were flying in from out of town because of COVID. They couldn't do that. So, um, but I was able to set up my own space and do it in Chicago in a way that worked for me, in a way that looked the way I wanted it to. Um, and we presented it and it was like all these women, a bunch of women, like a dozen of us from different walks of life, different ages, different ethnicities, different classes. And everybody gave their TED talk about, you know, like reshaping the future to like, I'm looking at it like I'm in this class of women. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a suicide, I I survived suicide and I did this and nobody could have told my ass. Nobody could have told me sis a few years ago when I was still very suicidal, that only a few years later, I'd be doing a TED talk. I'm still it must have been a- such an out-of-body experience. Like, especially when you're there looking around, being like, is this me? Like, looking down, is this me right now? <laughs> like, I cried during my TED talk. Like, oh, I love that. I no, but it's so real. No, I wanted to be a badass. But, like, <laughs> oh. but you know what's the most badass thing? Is being yourself and being vulnerable and showing that having emotions. I think that women get such a fucking hard time when they show emotions, especially in the workplace, right? They're like, oh, you know, it's that time of the month for them or, oh, they're dramatic. They must have gone through a breakup, but just all this bullshit. And I think you... And I've interviewed other just strong females on the show, and I've been so lucky to, to, to meet and have these new experiences. But I think that showing how badass you are by being your true self, showing your emotions, sharing your story, you're going to inspire not only just a younger generation, but your own generation and an older generation who never got to express those feelings and never got to and, – and being able to express your feelings – is the reason why you're here kicking ass all over the world and having a TED talk because you were true to your heart and you showed your guts and the inside that you have, you know? And I think that that is so important to show that to to other females in this world right now because shit is changing, you know? Shit is changing. And it's fucking amazing. Ain't it, girl? Ain't it? (laughs) The time that we're living in right now, um, it's like a little, you know, if we in a pandemic and people are dying and people are having, like, there's a mental health crisis going on right now that we don't talk about enough. Even within all of that, I have found a way to make the things that are important to me relevant and to still make a living for myself as an artist and still show up for people. I'm proud of that shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm proud of that. That I, like, I did that. And- when we look back on the pandemic and talk about it from years from now, like I'll be able to talk about that. I did that. And I'm proud of that. You I created just want, magic. You created magic in a pandemic. That's why I really want people like if they, if there just happens to be anybody that's listening right now who has mental health issues, just hold on, just hang in there in time. You'll understand how this experience can contribute to who you are in the future. And that's not to say that you're going to be grateful that you went through it because now nah, that's some bullshit. Like, I'm not grateful that I have PTSD. The fuck? Like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not it's grateful. exhausting. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, that shit ain't fun. But um, what I am grateful for is that 
I took ownership of my emotions. This experience of having this taught me the, the responsibility I have to control my emotions instead of letting them control me. And I, that's not even knowledge I really had even before I had a mental break when I wasn't, you know, in the neurodiverse category. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. we have to understand, like, I mean, if like the most sensitive of us and the most fragile and vulnerable of us have strengths that are valuable and necessary and amazing, you have to exercise that self-compassion and do that work to get back to being well because people need you. You're needed. I could listen to you talk all day long. <laughs> you are so inspiring. I can't stand it. <laughs> I'm like, can I just like have you here, like always with me to just like pick me up when I'm down? So like, oh my God. <laughs> like that's what my Instagram is kind of. <laughs> it is so good. You are just like a dream right now. You're a dream. Okay, so get out alive is going to become a movie are you yes. so like oh, this is happening it was like when i saw the trailer i saw the trailer the first draft of the trailer the day i was about to film my ted talk so i'm standing here like looking at my phone like i have like delayed reactions to things i don't know if it's imposter syndrome i don't know if it's just girl i looked at that trailer like i want to be in this movie <laughs> it was me though. like like if i saw that movie i would be like I want a ticket. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would. I'm going to opening night. <laughs> oh, yes. Like, it gave me vibes that I have not had since I saw the Black Panther trailer. And I know that that's like, like, I'm, I mean, it's my project. So, of course, I'm going to say that. You know what I'm saying? But, like, you it, know what? You are allowed to say that because this is your baby. So, you are allowed to say that. It's my baby. It is. Yeah. And, and not only my baby, but like, Brandon baby, Roger baby, Jarika baby, Keely's baby, P1's baby, Jayana's baby, Iris baby. Like my team is amazing. You ooh. And then it's like, but I get the accolades. Like I, you know, they help with the organization. They help with con um, getting concepts done. They help with actually like scheduling stuff and arranging stuff and rehearsing, but I get the accolades. So it's weird. It keep you humble because yeah. like low key, you know, you ain't the one that did everything. You know Listen, what I'm saying? It takes, a, it takes a fucking village. <laughs> Girl, it really do. And I didn't know that when I first started doing theater, the how many interconnected moving pieces. I've only been doing theater now two and a half. It ain't even been three years yet. And all wow. this is happening. Like, wow. so many moving pieces. And it's kind of beautiful because in theater, everybody got to hold everybody accountable. Because if one person ain't doing their job, the whole thing's fucked. I know. It's a ripple effect. It's a total ripple effect. I love so it. So what's going to happen now? So you have the movie that's going to come out. What is the next, what's the next step for Nikki? What, what do you see? I mean, obviously everything is a baby step, right? But is there something that you have wanted to accomplish as well? And you're like, this is going to happen. At the time when I started writing my play, I was also working on a documentary called Happy Songs, Oppression and Mental Health, but like not corny or boring, like not clinical and heavy in my way. And I started working on that, but then the play blew up. So I had to like put aside my baby. Focus that, right. Yeah, but like my next thing, I mean, of course I have to promote Get Out Alive. I want to put it through the independent film circuit. I want to- yeah. No, I'm one of the people that want myself on like a Hulu or a Netflix or something like that one yeah. day. I want those things. 
And while I'm working toward that and promoting my play, I want to finish my documentary. And now I have to even rethink what finishing my documentary looks like at the tail end of a pandemic mm-hmm. because things have changed. That's what I want to do next. Oh, and I have to release the soundtrack from the play because like there are nine songs in the play. And Amazing. Oh my God. Amazing. I see a tour. I see a concert. Like I see the play. I see a movie. I, I just like, I see, I see everything. I, I see everything for this. I see. I really do. I really do. I planned none of this when I wrote that play. I was thinking of none of this when I wrote it. Your story is what everyone who's listening right now needs to hear. And it all took one walk. I mean, all took one walk. Okay, Nikki, I'm going to ask you our final question. What is your emotional support? Keisha, my best friend is everything. Oh my gosh. I love that. Your savior. Oh, it's so important to have it's so important to have someone right there with you. Girl, you better tell them. It's it's she is just a gift. I just she's just the best person. She makes me want to be a better person. She's just adorable and awful and <laughs> she's just the best. Like that's my girl, girl, girl. Aww. And and uh you know her and my boy Matt, Matt Hennessy's like literally my big brother. He, you know, he always going to ride for me no matter what. Always going to believe in me and hold space for me no matter what. What? Are you serious? Like yeah. my friends. Um, Nikki, how can everyone find you? You can find me online at Nikki Lynette. Just at Nikki Lynette. Like that's my name on everything. I think my name on TikTok is Lynette the Threat, but I haven't really like posted anything on there yet. But you can find out and you can reach me through igetoutalive.com. We're selling tickets to the play there. I got really cool merch there. Um, You can see the trailer there. And you know you're supporting indie art. You're supporting the cool-ass black chick. You're supporting my mental health advocacy and social impact art. So please get you a pre-sale ticket and check it out. And, you know, I think that the most important thing that we can do right now is support artists and especially support female artists. And I think that what you are doing for the community of mental health is brave, it's strong, it's beautiful. And I am so blessed to have met you and I can't wait to see you just keep growing and taking over this world. And I'm gonna be like, I remember when I was in my living room and I got to interview her and in the future, hopefully we can do a part two when this becomes a worldwide phenomenon. And I just, I can't wait. Absolutely. Oh my God. Well, thank you so much, Nikki. Emotion, Al, support.